This is Exposing Washington with Walker Wildman, bringing clarity to Washington, D.C. news. We see corruption at every level in Washington, and it's in both parties. Exposing the deception plaguing our nation's capital. Not only what he told every Republican senator, but what he told the press over and over and over again was a simple lie. And helping Christians stay informed about government. Now, of course, this puts a bigger burden on voters to go figure out what's actually going on. Be sure to visit AFR.net or wherever you get your podcast to hear past episodes. This is Exposing Washington with Walker Wildman on American Family Radio. Welcome to the show today. My name is Walker Wildman. This is Exposing Washington, as the announcer just said there. Walker Wildman, Exposing Washington, American Family Radio is our network. Glad to have you with us on the show today. We got a jam-packed show full of some great content, some great news stories out of Washington, D.C. Some uh, interesting news stories, should I uh, better better phrase that as interesting news stories. Not always good, as you know, we're dealing with our politicians in Washington, D.C., who don't always get things right, uh, to put it nicely. If you want to find out more about the show, go to our website, AFR.net. On our website, when you go there, AFR.net, you will see that um, there's a podcast link at the top of the page. And when you're on that podcast link, you will see Exposing Washington Show podcast, and you can find out all the information you need need to know about the show there, and you can listen at past to past shows, and you can listen to this show there uh, this weekend uh, at AFR.net. As this, as the announcer said before the show, you can also download our app on your app store, AFR app. We have a lot of, we have various ways to keep up with American Family Radio, so we want you to be informed, we want you to be equipped, and so we do what we can for that to happen. All of our resources are, of course, free. AFR.net is our website. Next week is our spring share Bring an Awakening is our theme. Next week is our spring share where we uh, petition our supporters, our listeners, to come alongside us and financially support American Family Radio so that we can continue broadcasting the truth all across the country with 180 Roughly 180 radio stations in, uh, in over 30 states across the country. We are truly American Family Radio, and as I mentioned, our app is all over the world and all over the country, our app and our website. So we are American Family Radio. So stay tuned next week for our share and we hope and pray that you will donate to American Family Radio by visiting our website, AFR.net. Transitioning into the content for the show today, well, first, I wrote a column last week in our local newspaper that I talked a little bit about here, but I did not um, post it because I didn't have the link because it wasn't posted yet online. But now it is, so I'm going to post that. Uh, I'm going to ask Brent, our producer, to remind me to post that on our podcast page at AFR.net. This uh, article I wrote, this column I wrote in our local newspaper, it also ran on our website. Uh, the title of it was How Slow the Spread Morphed into Stop the Spread. And I delve into how 
what what was once a realistic goal, a reachable goal, an, an attainable goal, turned into a unreachable, unattainable goal. That being this 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 idea that we're going to somehow stop the spread of an upper respiratory illness. It's not going to happen. If you talk to any doctor, there's no evidence in, in, in history of, of a population of 340 million people stopping an upper respiratory virus from spreading throughout the population. It's never happened and it never will happen. Because there's this thing called human-to-human interaction that we all enjoy. And part of the column, I talked about how America thrives off of human-to-human interaction. And that's actually a good thing. We go to church. We go to work. We go shopping. We go to dinner. We spend time with family. These are all good things, and we enjoy doing them, and that's human-to-human interaction. And I don't think we need to stop cut off human-to-human interaction for the sake of an upper respiratory virus. But that doesn't mean we can't be smart. It doesn't mean we can't wash our hands. It doesn't mean we can't stay at home if we're sick. Those are all common-sense measures. But the idea that we're going to keep this country shut down for 10 to 12 months till they come up with a vaccine that doesn't work, that's a joke, an absolute joke. It's laughable. And you look at the vaccine, at the effectiveness of some of these shots, let's just talk about the flu shot because that's the one I'm most knowledgeable about. The rest I'm kind of spotty on, so I'm not going to talk about them. Some of them are effective, the statistics show. But, you know, you look at the flu shot, and on a good year, the CDC will put out the numbers of basically the effective, I think they call it the effectiveness rate, but basically how, how effective the shot is. And on a good year, the flu shot is about 30 to 40 percent effective. About 30 to 40 percent effective. How they get that number, I have no idea because, you know, they say, well, you know, 36 percent of those who get the shot, it helps them to prevent uh, the flu or make them recover quicker. And to me, that's not very comforting. It's like going into the doctor's office and the doctor's saying, you know, I've got this antibiotic, and there's about a 30% chance it's going to work to, you know, help you get better. But let's give it a shot. Let's give it a try. Uh, that's one thing, but then this flu shot is touted as the end-all, be-all, even though the numbers, the data doesn't back it up. So I'm a little skeptical about this whole idea that we're going to come up with the coronavirus shot in about 12 months. Um, but maybe I'll be proven wrong. Maybe it'll be effective. We'll just have to find out. But I'll tell you one thing. I'm going to have to be convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that a that injecting my body with coronavirus is going to be a good thing before I actually consider doing it. Speaking of the coronavirus, let's talk about Dr. Anthony Fauci. I want to play one of my first uh, clips for the day. This clip is Dr. Fauci, and he was testifying before the Senate earlier this week. And if you've listened to Dr. Fauci, he always says, you know, I'm a scientist. I look at the data. I am a doctor. I only rely on what's what the data and the science says, blah, blah, blah. 
Well, let's listen to clip four and see how accurate that is. The official statistic, uh, Dr. Fauci, is that 80,000 Americans have died uh, from the pandemic. There are some epidemiologists who suggest the number may be 50% higher than that. Uh, what do you think? Um, I'm not sure, Senator Sanders, if it's going to be 50% higher, but most of us feel that the number of deaths are likely higher than that number because th given the situation, particularly in New York City, when they were really strapped with a very serious challenge to their healthcare system, that there may have been people who died at home who did have right. COVID who were not counted as COVID because they never really got to the hospital. So in direct answer to your question, I think you are correct that the number is likely <laughs> higher. I, I don't know exactly what percent right. higher, but almost certainly it's higher. What on this earth are you doing, Dr. Fauci? Where is the data that shows that the death toll in America is almost certainly higher? This is, I told some folks earlier this week, this is turning into a clown show. This is an absolute mockery. This is a joke. We would be better off as a country just admitting that we don't, we don't know what on earth we're doing. We have no idea what we're doing because we've never dealt with this before. And we're just going to try a bunch of stuff. I mean, we would almost be better off and more honest with ourselves to say we don't know what we're doing and we're just going to try a bunch of stuff and see what works. It's almost like going out to work on a car. Let's say you're a mechanic. And you go out to work on a car, and you've worked on a lot of cars in your career, and you have a pretty good experience with them. You know all, where all the parts are and everything. But this, this is a new car. You've never touched this engine before. You would be saying to yourself and those around you that, hey, I've never done this before. I've, 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 done, I've done work on cars, but I've never touched this kind of car but I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a try. That's what we're doing with this whole coronavirus thing. That's what we're doing with this whole coronavirus thing. We're just trying all that we can <laughs> to help the situation. And that's what Dr. Fauci needs to admit. And, and also, it's completely irresponsible to go before the Senate and with no evidence to back up your claim to say that surely the death toll is higher. That's reckless. And it's fear-mongering. And here's why. Because there's actually evidence to show that we're overcounting coronavirus deaths. I played the clip last week of Dr. Burks standing in the White House briefing room saying that we are telling hospitals, she said this on national television, Dr. Burks said, we are telling hospitals that anyone with the coronavirus, no matter the cause of death, if they have COVID-19, it label it a COVID-19 death, even if they died from a heart attack, even if they were intoxicated and drove off a bridge, that's a COVID-19 death if they have the coronavirus. That alone makes me question 
how many coronavirus deaths do we really have? And I actually have an example to uh, lead to that speculation, but Dr. Fauci there just pulling things out of his pocket, pulling things out of his pocket with absolutely no evidence, no data, no science to back it up. But hey, who's going to say something? Because it's Dr. Fauci. We can't question Dr. Fauci. Total tongue-in-cheek there. Moving on here, uh, let's talk. Um, I want to bring in, we're going to talk about the Michael Flynn situation here in a little while, but I want to play clip three here. This is Larry Kudlow. We're going to stay on the whole coronavirus and the issues we're facing as a country. We're going to talk, keep talking about that for a few more minutes. So I'm going to play clip three. This is Larry Kudlow talking about why we need pro-growth policies and not pro-government policies. Contrast her spending with President Trump's pro-growth uh, tax and deregulation program. He wants a payroll tax cut for workers, uh, capital gains for investors and businesses. He wants to help these small businesses by putting liability restrictions and other deregulation measures. Uh, he wants to help uh, uh, restaurants open up. He wants to provide new deductions for meals and uh, for tourism, things of that sort. He wants an infrastructure package. It's an entirely different approach. It's a growth approach so that we can get a strong recovery in the second half of the year and a big, big booming economy in 2021. We should provide growth incentives and not go through various right, wish lists, which I might have have been submitted before and failed in the earlier negotiations. Well, there you have it. Larry Kudlow, National Economic Advisor, talking about how we need pro-American, pro-growth policies and not pro-government policies. And what he's talking about is this $3 trillion garbage that Nancy Pelosi presented this past week that not, doesn't, has, has hardly anything to do with the coronavirus, has everything to do with their wish list. This is terrible. The American Family Association has come out opposed to this legislation. It's horrible legislation. And here's our position. We need to stop. We need to cut the printing press off. Now, no more printing press. Because these, these massive bailout bills, or if you want to call them aid packages, I'm fine with that. I think the first one was an aid package, but this is just getting into just a bunch of wasteful spending. We need to cut the printing press off. And here's why. We already have, as a country, a safety net in place for people who are in need. It's called unemployment insurance. That's already in place. That's still in place. It's actually expanded. And so if people lose their job, they go on unemployment until they can get their job back. But this whole idea that we're going to keep keep the printing press on and we're just going to keep sending people money, no matter their situation. Some of these people getting money, they both still have their job. They don't need the check. They don't need the money, but we're just printing it off and sending it to everybody. This is, this is basic universal income. This is so, out of the socialist playbook. What we need to do instead is completely eliminate the payroll tax. 
the federal income tax needs to be eliminated until the end of the year. Well, Walker, that's that's a government-oriented solution. No, it's not. That's a that's a consumer, that's a employee-based solution. You want to know why we need that instead of just printing checks to all Americans? Because that allows those who are working who aren't on unemployment to keep their own money instead of sending it through the bureaucratic filter of Washington, D.C. That, a payroll tax deduction and eliminating regulations and providing various other tax incentives to stimulate growth is what America needs. Because actually, what Congress is talking about and what they're doing by just sending money, just blanket sending money out to everybody, the problem with that is it actually doesn't stimulate growth. It does the opposite. Not only does it cause inflation, but it causes people not to work. It causes people not to work because they're getting their income from the government. But actually, what we need now is people working. We need companies opening. That's what we need. That's what's going to help us recover, not sending blank checks to America are sending checks to all of America. That's not going to stimulate growth. It actually hurts our growth because it keeps us not working for a longer period of time, which then delays the economic recovery. So what we really need to do, step one, is open America back up. Everybody, every state, open America back up. That's what we need to do. Yesterday, instead of pass more legislation. And the payroll tax cut would do this. It would help, it would let American workers keep more of their money in their own pocket, which would then in turn stimulate growth in the economy. Why? Because those employees would then turn around and spend that money on vacation, on a new car, on a new house, on new tennis shoes, on a night out for dinner. You get the idea. Money saved in American consumers' pockets goes right back into the economy, which then makes its way into the pockets of our government in a good way called the sales tax. And then the businesses pay taxes, federal income taxes. They pay, uh, I'm sorry, they pay corporate taxes on their income. So it's, it's all uh, money spent by American consumers benefits everyone. And it's a free market idea instead of a government-based idea. Transitioning into this Michael Flynn situation, This past week, so we talked last week about how the Department of Justice dropped the case against Michael Flynn, and the judge here, this judge is, this judge is is doing a terrible job. Let me just say that. This judge is doing a terrible job because not only has, has the world seen the injustice that happened to Michael Flynn, 
how he was targeted for no calls by the Obama administration, top level officials. He was spied on by our own government with no crime involved. And then like over a dozen, at least over a dozen Obama officials went down in the White House and requested that Michael Flynn be unmasked in these surveillance uh, application and these surveillance transcripts. And then somebody leaked that, which is a felony. But Michael Flynn was targeted. A complete injustice occurred, to, uh, happened to Michael Flynn. And this judge in Washington, D.C., Judge Sullivan, is, this federal judge is just dragging this thing out, I think, because he has a political motive. I can't prove that, but that's my hunch. He's an Obama appointee, and the way he has talked to Michael Flynn in the courtroom, the way he has handled this case is disgusting, and there's no other, there's no other logical explanation other than he's being politically driven. But instead of dismissing the case after the Department of Justice dropped the case, which means there's no lead prosecutor to prosecute Michael Flynn. Instead of just dismissing the case, this judge is bringing in some outside lawyer, some outside attorney to talk about, in the courtroom, to talk about how bad Michael Flynn is, how bad of a person Michael Flynn is. The judge has also opened the court for amicus briefs, or they can also be called friend of the court briefs where different lobbying groups and, and individuals submit paperwork petitioning for one side or the other. This is also unheard of in a criminal case like this. I've heard of it before the Supreme Court where you get friend of the court briefs, but opening this up two years into a prosecution at the tail end of it after the prosecutors already dropped the case, open it up to amicus briefs at this time frame, is unheard of. I'm going to play clip two. This is Alan Dershowitz talking about how Bill Barr is absolutely doing the right thing with Michael Flynn. Let's listen. Barr did exactly the right thing. Probably did it a little too late. There was never a crime here. In December of 2018, I wrote an op-ed piece saying there was no crime. Why? Because what he said, what Flynn said, was not material to the investigation for two reasons. Number one, the FBI already knew what the truth was. They had him on tape. They had recorded him talking to the uh, ambassador. And then they asked him, did you talk to the ambassador? They weren't looking for information. They were looking to spring a perjury trap. And what was the nature of the investigation? They were investigating the Logan Act. You know what the Logan Act is? It was passed in the 19th, 18th century. And it said private citizens can't negotiate with other governments. You know how many of our people have negotiated with other governments from uh, Jimmy Carter when he told uh, Yasser Arafat not to accept the Clinton peace deal to Jesse Jackson to uh, Rodman, the basketball player? Nobody has been prosecuted under the Logan Act since 1803. Well, there you have it. That's Alan Dershowitz talking about how, how the, the statute that the DOJ was using to prosecute Michael Flynn hasn't been used since the 1800s. Hasn't been used since the 1800s. 
Michael Flynn, from all information available, is an innocent man and was wrongly targeted by basically the entire Obama DOJ and White House. We had the uh, director, the acting director of national intelligence, the acting DNI, Richard Grinnell. <laughs> this guy's just been going at it. He's been unclassifying pretty much everything in, 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 as it relates to these cases. By the way, before I play one more clip, here's my projection. I project before the end of this, we will find out that Obama was in on pretty much everything when it comes to going after the Trump campaign. We already know he's in on it pretty much because he was wanting to keep up, stay updated on it. But I project he's going to be caught right slap, uh, right, right slap in the middle of all this. Let me play one more clip. This is clip one, Rand Paul and Obama spying on Trump. Really, all of President Obama's inner circle individually were requesting the unmasking of a political opponent. And, you know, you remember there was a whole to-do about trying to impeach a president saying they were using the power of government to go after a political opponent. This is a, this is a, a smoking gun, if there ever was one, that Vice President Biden was using the power of government, abusing that power to go after a political opponent. Essentially, unmasking someone is the equivalent of illegally wiretapping them. The government had permission to listen to the Russian ambassador, but to protect Americans, we mask their identity. But you got the whole President Obama's inner circle clamoring around, listening to the private conversation, I think illegally, and I think with ill-begotten Ill, Ill motives. Yeah, th this is, there's so many crimes, I believe, that have been committed here. I, I don't know for the life of me why not one person has at least been indicted. I understand prosecutions take a long time. You got to gather the evidence, blah, blah, blah. But America is looking at the evidence. The here's to me where the where this should be a slam dunk case. What I'm about to say. The Obama Department of Justice, Peter Strzok, James Comey, Sally Yates, all these people who did this. Listen to this. They signed on to a FISA Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act court warrant to spy on the Trump campaign because they uh, they claimed in the documents that there was evidence of collusion between Russia and the Trump campaign. But guess what? Since then, they've said that they never had evidence of collusion. From day one, they never had evidence of collusion, yet they told the court that they did. I don't know how that's not lying to a federal court. To me, it's a clear-cut case. Exposing Washington American Family Radio will be back next week.
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.